The Pac-12 Apostles are back off the injured reserve. Ralph's hip is a little bit better. And me, I'm, yeah, I'm still under the weather. But guess what? The show must go on. We got the recap of week 12. The preview of week 13. What's going on in the college football playoff? Why are Pac-12 players already declaring for the draft with two games to play? And how many bowl teams will there be? Will there be five? Which is a very, very easy scenario. And all the rest of the doings in the conference. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, man, it was a rough one this last week. We, we we tried to get the episode up for the people, for the Pac-12 fans. You guys, thank you for sticking with us. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Send us your email. Send us your takes. Um, also, yeah, it, it was just a rough one, man. I, I was hanging on by a thread. The baby was sick. I was sick. I flew from Oregon. All type, type of stuff. How's your hip, Ralph? So I don't have as much craziness going on as you, but I'm, I'm a little bit busted up. Uh, I had, uh, I've got four kids for anybody who doesn't know. And I had just the two little ones last week. The older two were at Universal Studios with their mom. And if you know anything about little kids, they don't give you like an inch to breathe. And so it had been a couple of days. I hadn't even showered because they wouldn't leave me alone. So I sat them down with an activity. I told them, leave me alone. It is better for everyone involved, everyone in this house, if I am just able to get clean. So I'm, I'm going and I'm getting in the shower and it wasn't 10 seconds before they both busted in. They were in a race to tell each other. I could tell what was about to happen. Like they're going to bust through the shower curtain, take everything down. And so in the process of trying to block them from doing that, keep the shower curtain from going down and everything like that, I slipped. And in my head, I'm like, okay, if I fall, if I fall in the shower, it's going to hurt. But maybe I can save this. And so, you know, I start doing that like cartoon thing where each foot slides out from underneath, but you're trying to keep your balance. And I did it. I, 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 I stuck it, right? I didn't fall, but on that last one, my foot comes down and my back just gives out. <laughs> and so I spent about three or four days not walking. Uh, and then now it's just turned into like constant uh, hip pain. And, and I think this is just the price of getting old, right? Like this is... I think we just, you get to a point where you're like, yeah, I probably deserve this for some reason. That was probably something I did in my youth that this is coming back on me now. There is nothing more humbling than getting older and getting hurt doing ridiculous things. My back went out. I mean, mind you, I have, I did play in the NFL and have had two back surgeries, but this is still no excuse. I was picking my son's stroller up to put it in the car, the car seat up to put in the car. And my and I hurt my back, dude. I was down for days. And people, people don't know I've done this podcast laying down like twice. That's what people don't understand, like about about back injuries. Is like they take everything out of you. They take away your ability to lie and come up with a better story on how you hurt your back. <laughs> like <laughs> I hurt my back trying not to fall in the shower. You hurt your back trying to pick up a stroller. It just is what it is. We got to deal with it and move on. Oh yeah, I remember when. Um, <clears throat> When okay, so Doctor Andrews, the same guy who's doing Tua Tua's hip, well, the, at the same facility in Birmingham at St. Vincent's Hospital. Uh, I remember I went there when I tore my knee, and he fixed my ACL. So I'm there in 
Birmingham. And then I decided to stay and do rehab there. It was in the middle of the season. And if you try to go back to your team in the middle of the season, hurt, you're not going to get very much attention because they're focused on the players who are actually going to play. So I decided to stay there. And I saw people who had random injuries. There was a lady who tore her ACL uh, uh, playing Wii Tennis. And then there was a (laughs) dude tore her ACL playing Wii Tennis. And then there was a guy who got out of the bed. And literally just, he said, I was just getting out of the bed like a normal day. And he tore his, uh, and he tore his uh, ACL and MCL just getting out of bed. I just, I remember, I just, I love those weird injury stories, but sometimes, you know, like they'll happen to athletes too. And you wonder if they're telling the truth. I remember when Jake Plummer went to the Denver Broncos and then all of a sudden like resurrected his career, you know, they started off four and or whatever. And then it was just, he was on the injury report with a broken foot. And I'm trying to think back. I'm like, I don't think anything happened to him in the game. And, uh, and he, he has like a press conference or whatever. And he's like, Oh, you know, that thing where you, where you crack your foot knuckles by just tucking your toes under your foot and just rolling them. He's like, yeah, my foot just broke. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, I'm never, I'm never popping my toes ever again. Exactly. Dude, that's like, who was it? John wall or, uh, the, another guy who played for the red Redskins who, who tore their, who like tore their Achilles or knee or some something go, going to go get a pizza. You're like, wow, that's <laughs> bad luck, bro. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we got to get into these games, man. We got to get into these games. So week 12 was had some very unexpected results. One in particular that just absolutely shocked me and stood out to me, which was USC 41 Cal 17. Um, we all know that USC hired their new athletic director, Mike Bone. And one of the first things he said, everybody expected him to fire Clay Helton very quickly. But he said that coaches finish, that good coaches finish strong. And that it was too early to re- to evaluate Clay Helton and that he would do it after the season. And I think that Clay Helton took that literally because he's gone on to beat Arizona State, even though it wasn't pretty. It started out amazing. And then he let him get a little bit too close because Slovis ended up getting getting hurt. And then he comes back and absolutely demolishes Cal. So the takers got took for 406 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, I've never, since Justin Wilcox has been at Cal and the rest of the, Tim Tim DeRuiter, the rest of the coaching staff, they have never gotten torched like this. Michael Pittman went off. Tyler Vaughn's had 100 yards. Amon Ross St. Brown almost had 100 yards. These dudes combined for over, I think, 22 catches, like 300 yards and three touchdowns. It was it was ridiculous. I, Are there I, – I got a couple of questions. Um, first of all, is there any more question at all that this is the best receiving core in the country? Oh, the uh, all right. Look, look. I, I I have been saying that all season that they are the best receiving core in the country, <clears throat> and while I I still believe that, I just think that the only team that can compete with them 
is Alabama because their guys are a little more explosive. Like if if Alabama's receivers, if Rugs, if uh yeah, so if Rugs, Jerry Judy, uh, I think Smith, if they get the ball, they may score a touchdown on every single play. And I don't think that's the same case with the with the Alabama re- receivers because they're more. I'm sorry with the USC receivers because they can they can score, but they're gonna go over the top of you where. The Alabama yeah. receivers, you can throw them a slant and it might end up a crib shot. This might this might put it over the top for Alabama if history had worked out this way. I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but on signing day two years ago, Alabama tried to flip Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. Last minute, they came in on signing day and offered him and tried to get him to commit right then and there, and he stuck it out. Uh, stuck it out with ASU, but if you add that guy to the mix, dear lord. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was probably a good move for for him because, I mean, yeah, he would have been playing at Alabama, but geez, I mean, that's that's it's not that many balls to go around, even if two is throwing them. Exactly, but and then my other thing is, is there any more question that this job should, without competition, without equivocation, belong to Keaton Slovis? Oh, dude, I, I said it on the Pac-12 power rankings that are up on Unafraid show right now um, that that JT Daniels might as well hop in the transfer portal right now. I mean, there is about a 0% chance that he can win this job. I mean, how do you, I mean, how do you like even have a quarterback competition when this dude has thrown for, 2,700 yards, 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions, only nine interceptions this season. And he's got it since what? And he has just in the last few games. Well, actually, I'll give you his totals. Since he started, so he came in uh, Fresno State, played a little bit, and then he came out against Stanford, 377. B, B, BYU, 281, two picks. I'm sorry, three picks, two touchdowns. Then he got hurt in Utah. Comes back against Notre Dame, 255 and two touchdowns. Arizona, 232, two touchdowns. Colorado, 406, four touchdowns. Oregon, two, well, we know that was bad. But uh, Arizona State, 432, four tubs. Cal, 406, four tubs. I mean, that that's your starting quarterback. There's no going back. And he's and he's completing 70% of his passes on the season. Yeah, bro. There and, and the cold part is USC is gonna have a tough time getting quarterback recruits now because when you have a guy who's a true freshman and he's playing like like this, guys are not gonna want to sign up to come behind him. They're gonna wait till he's a junior and then they're gonna come. Well, so they do have a commit right now for 2021, uh, and that's uh, Jake Garcia, who started out at Long Beach Poly and transferred to Narbonne. Um, He started out under Antonio Pierce. I got a chance to see him throw as a freshman, and I thought he had one of the most special arms of any SoCal kid. I mean, kid reminds me of Carson Palmer. And the second that Bryce Young flipped to Alabama – he took Jake Garcia took advantage of that and he committed to USC. And so 
I don't even think they're going to worry about getting a, a quarterback commit in this recruiting class. I think they're just going to wait for Jake Garcia in 2021, which that should line up perfectly for when, you know, if, if Slovis ends up being a three and done guy um, to put them in pretty good position. Uh, but you, you brought up just some of Slovis's numbers. I want to reinforce that by saying Cal's defense proved again and again and again that they were legit. They had only given up seven touchdown passes to power five quarterbacks on the season. They shut out Matt Coral. They shut out Jaden Daniels. They shut out Jacob Eason. And then Keaton Slovis comes in and he throws four. Like that, that just, that should go to show you that Cal's defense was for real and that Keaton Slovis overcame that. It, that, it, that this wasn't, this wasn't a poor Cal defense, but that, that they're actually legitimate and Keaton Slovis yeah, is just that. Yeah, good. yeah. When, when you combine a really good wide receiver with a, and well, fantastic wide receivers with a with a really good quarterback who he's not playing like a freshman any anymore. And when you look at their quarterback room, so you got Jack Sears in the transfer portal, JT Daniels hurt, probably going to get in the transfer portal, right? He might maybe. Would you play? Would you would you come back for spring to show that you can uh, to show that you can move around and throw a little bit as sort of a uh, a, a way to entice more people for when you do go on the portal uh well yeah 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 but but i'm saying he unless keaton slovis gets hurt he won't be on usc's roster next season right and then you got matt fink who is the backup right right now essentially i think he's a senior right like he's done yeah yeah so and then they got a kid named scott harris they got um, no, 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 Matt, Matt Fink's a junior. So they okay. got Scott, Scott Harris, a kid named Trevor Scully. I don't even know if those, those are scholarship kids. So yeah. So if Keaton Slovis, if he's hurt, like they're going to be in a pickle, but the biggest question is Ralph, if USC comes out and they destroy UCLA this weekend and then they, um, which, which would be their last game. <clears throat> Is there any way? So this is USC's last game of the season. Yeah. If they finish eight and four and destroy UCLA, can Clay Helton keep his job? Uh, I mean, if they destroy UCLA, yeah, I think so because um, I think that uh, people expected him to be fired by week four, right? I think that that was the, and people might say, well, like he might have been if circumstances had allowed for it. Um, but people expected him to be fired by week four. You and I disagreed. I thought they were an eight and four team. I thought they would beat Utah. We both thought they would beat Utah. Where we were wrong was that Utah w- didn't lose any more conference games. I mean, it could still happen. I highly doubt it. But, but you know, there there is a sliver of hope, I think, for UCLA to be Pac-12 South champs. It would take Utah losing to Arizona and Colorado, which is just not going to happen. Um, but I think you know you and I, I had them at eight and four. You had them beating Utah. We expected them to do some stuff this year, and so far, as long as they beat UCLA, they will have met my expectations. Um, the thing is, if you're going to do something, you got to do it soon. And I would think that, you know, Mike Bonus probably spent all of his time at USC 
taking the temperature of every booster out there. Um, but these guys run hot and cold just like fans. And if USC goes out there and they destroy UCLA, especially after what happened last year, then you might have some people start to come around and say, all right, well, maybe we're on the right track. We just need to we need to come together and support this program more moving forward. And then maybe everyone unites or maybe enough people, not everyone, maybe enough people unite behind Clay Helton to support him going into next year because, you know, with with what Utah is bringing back and what everybody else is bringing back, USC probably has the best chance, um, best outlook, just talent-wise, in the Pac-12 South next year. So I, I think that the possibility exists that he stays, but having that bye week this last week certainly plays well for anybody who wants to see him gone because that gives USC a little bit more time to adjust going into – um, and, and maybe it depends on Utah. If Utah beats Arizona, then maybe your mind's made up for you because there's absolutely no shot that you're playing in a Pac-12 championship. Yeah. You've got until bowl season to figure yeah, that, out the coaching scenario. And, I mean, that that could be a perfect storm. Yeah, but is it, isn't it weird, though? Because being the fact that they didn't fire him after the Notre Dame loss, after they lost to Washington – well, actually, so they lost to – BYU beat Utah, lost to Washington, lost to Notre Dame. When they didn't fire him at that point, he will probably finish the season or can finish the season winning five out of his last six games. How do you fire a coach who wins five out of the last six games? And you got a freshman quarterback playing lights out. You got uh, wide receivers playing lights out. And then if you the longer that you wait to fire a coach, so if they don't fire him until after the Pac-12 uh, championship, now you are so close up against the early signing period for recruiting, which is what the second week in December. You have essentially shut yourself out of that, out of that. So it, like the this timing gets super, super weird as um <clears throat> as this early signing period approaches. But but what about Cal, though? I mean, so Chase Garbers came back, and he was only back for like a quick second. He ended up getting hurt again. He missed five games, six weeks, hurt again. And Devin Meister come, comes in. And USC looked – there were two times UCLA looked like a – like potential Pac-12 champions. That was against Cal and it was against Utah. They looked like a team that could win the Pac-12. I mean, looked absolutely fantastic and dominant. They looked like a top team team 10 team on offense and on defense. But the rest of the you're no, talking no, about I'm, USC? Yeah, I'm talking about US, USC. That those are the two okay. times that they look and, like. And, and we'll throw in the first quarter against ASU. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but Cal, dude, they are just f- falling apart offensively. I mean, the, uh, yeah. Devon Monster had the one good game last week. But aside from that, like, they got nothing, man. And do you think that's more of a reflection on the coaches? Because we all believe Justin Wilcox is a really good coach. But is this a, a situation like you have Mike Leach in Washington where his defenses are rarely any good or, you know, top tier because so much time is spent focusing on the offense? Do you think that that's the case with, you know, Cal and their defense? 
it uh, it feels like personnel to me, to be honest. I, I, I pay special attention to this Cal team just from, you know, first of all, us doing this podcast and, and, and you know, uh, our expectations for them going into this year. But also they recruit the state of Arizona where I live so hard that I like to keep track of the, you know, seven or eight players that they have from here, plus the five or six that are going to be going there next year. And it's just a matter of needing reinforcements on the offense. The receivers, you know, they, they've got – if you were to make a list of the top 30 receivers in the conference, they probably have one of them. If you were to make a list of the top 20 running backs in the conference, they probably have one of them, and it's not in the top 15. And, you know, at, at quarterback, they're limited. At You know, I, I don't think that they have much going on at tight end. And the offensive line is mediocre. Like, what do you expect to do with those ingredients? They need these recruits to come in. They need the young guys to establish themselves and, and to support Garber because you're really only as good as your supporting cast. And what everybody's expecting Chase Garbers to do is to elevate the entire team. And I don't think that that's fair to him and his skill set. Like, he needs people around him that he can depend on. It's really all going to come down to how they, they recruit because you don't want to be a team that wastes elite defenses year after year. And so they, they have to get it right. I don't think that there's any coach out there, Mike Leach included, that could put, have put this offense in a position to, to be anything other than average this year. I would, you are too kind, sir. You are too kind. You call them, them average. Uh, there's there's – well, no, I said that. I said that. I don't. I said that Mike Leach okay, could okay. only make Okay, I, I was getting ready to say. I was like a team averaging <laughs> yeah. eighteen point yeah. nine points per game <laughs> and rushing. What? What are they rushing for? One hundred twenty-six yards a game. They're doing good there. Their pass offense is one hundred and seventy-seven yards a game. A hundred and seventy-seven yards a game. Like they're not even. Like th- this is how far the the discrepancy is. I'm gonna leave Washington State in their 441 out because that's an outlier. USC is second at 319, and then everybody else is from 319 to 234. That UCLA's pass it, pass defense is next to last, and they're at least at 234. When you're passing for 177 yards a game, and you're and you're not Navy, Air Force, or somebody like like that, they, those are those numbers are putrid, putrid at best. Um, the next game we had up for week 12 was UCLA and Utah. <clears throat> so I was watching this game. I was up in Oregon. I was watching this game on the on the on the television box. And Utah jumped out 7-0. Oh, no, no, sorry. U- UCLA scored, scored first. 3-0. Then Utah came back and scored a couple touchdowns. And then here was the turning point in the game. When Dorian Thompson Robinson, they're down in the red zone. It's third down. They got a chance to score. He ends up doing, if you remember the Oregon versus Florida State game in the in the college football semifinal where Jameis Winston kept running backwards, backwards, and then gets sacked for a fumble six. That it that's exactly yeah. what happened if you didn't see the game. That's what Dorian Thompson Robinson did. And then the game was over after that. It was two, it was 21-3, and it was a disaster. 
And that's Dorian Thompson Robinson, kind of the the summation of his career. He is there are some times where he looks spectacular, and you're like, dude, this kid's getting better and he's improving. And there are sometimes he makes the absolute worst plays that you have ever seen in football. I mean, it, it is just inexplicable. It is inexplicably bad. Like the early season fumbles against Cincinnati, against San Diego State, are untouched. And you're just like, bro, like, what are you doing? And and that's this UCLA t- team too, Ralph. They feed so much on momentum. I, if things are going good, they they play well, but they have zero ability to overcome yeah, um the, On that fumble, I mean, this is how bad that was, that Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Mika Tafua, who picked up the ball and ran it back for a touchdown, they had been jawing all game. Like, those two had been going back and forth. And then when Mika Tafua picks that ball up and runs it back for a touchdown, like, that's it. I mean, you you let a defensive lineman, a sophomore, so good luck to everybody else in the Pac-12 dealing with more Utah defensive linemen. Um, But you let a sophomore run that ball back on you after that's the guy. Like, you let a defensive player score after you and him have been going back and forth, that's the game. Right? Like, if he makes a sack, whatever, you can come back on the next play. But if he scores, yikes. And what did we say about the over-under, George? We went back and forth on our last episode, and I said there's no way in hell that they go over. I th- was it fi- I, I need to remember. I need to go back. Was it 52 or 52 and a half? Because that half point has never been more important than it is right now. Dude, and I, t- and I was like that over is going to hit. I mean, either, either way, it is incredible how, how sharp the Sharks yeah. are. Yeah, because it was, it was f- I mean, 49 to 3, right? So – with several yep. uh, several late weird defensive scores and just a forty six point win for Utah, forty six point win when UCLA thought they had all the moment, the momentum going into that game. I mean, I know I know UCLA fans who flew out expecting the upset. <laughs> well, I, I I thought it could happen. I literally thought it could happen. And I could not have been any more wrong. And like, I, I you have to give so much credit to Utah because they have been absolutely mean. I mean, they have been mean, dude. Like, they have been destroying people, destroying people. They are on a mission to put up the best style points possible. They are not letting up from from anybody they're not giving anybody any space or any room to to breathe i think it's absolutely fantastic to see a, a team playing like well that. and so here's the other thing they're six and zero at home tyler huntley had another almost a perfect game almost perfect zach moss had an almost perfect game I mean, we're talking about a team that's probably going to go to the Pac-12 championship, probably has a shot to win it, probably is going to garner a bunch of Pac-12-specific postseason awards. They're number seven right now in the college football uh, playoff poll. And their recruiting class is only six deep, with the highest being a three-star. And they've had two commits this month to get them to six. 
why isn't it translating into kids wanting to go to school there? And now, mind you, five of the six kids that they've gotten committed for the class of 2020, all from Texas. So not one from the Pac-12 footprint. One from Hawaii, five from Texas. What is going on, George? What do you mean, man? (laughs) Utah hadn't been, you know, a team that was just garnering national attention like that. They were the team who threatened to beat, uh, to threatened USC or or whoever else was leading the Pac-12 South, to threaten them, and then they would falter. So it wasn't a hotbed for, you know, for recruits. Nobody wakes up outside of the state of Utah and it's like, ooh, I want to go be a Ute. You know, it, it's not popping on the recruiting trail like that. You go to Utah to be coached up. You go to Utah to be really good when you're a a junior or a senior. You don't go to Utah thinking, oh, I'm going to be out of here in three years. That's not what most kids do. But Kyle Whittingham, fantastic coach, great motivator, great leader. He's put together a staff that coaches kids up. They have stability there. That's what this has translated from. I mean, because Urban Meyer won there too. But it wasn't in a Power 5 conference. And Utah is showing, all right, we got the juice. And and the part that is crazy to me is this. I have consistently said that, that Tyler Huntley was not good enough offensively. I have consistently said that they could not run their way to a Pac-12 championship, that they could not, that he was going to have to be great at some point in time in the season. And when I say great, I mean spectacular performances do something outside of the norm, do something pretty spectacular. And... Yes, this last game against UCLA, he was 14 for 18. How do you go 14 for 18 with 335 yards and two touchdowns? I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Like, that means that UCLA's defense, you're you're averaging damn near 20 yards of reception. That's stupid. And um, actually, more than 20 yards of reception. And it, it's just so, like, crazy to, to see what's going on because that just does not happen. And I, but I am still holding out just, just because like everything in football tells me that if you want to do something special, your quarterback eventually has to do something special. And that means when your running game's not working, he has to save the day. And out of their last two games, what did it have? Arizona and Colorado. I don't think he's going to have to save the day, but he may have to save the day if they plan to beat Oregon. So I'm holding out on that, Ralph. Right. So, and, and not a lot of people realize Alex Smith left Utah early. He cut out early. He had a huge junior season, 32 touchdown passes, four interceptions. I mean, he was, he was special. He was someone who probably should have gotten – I think that was a Heisman-worthy season on his part. But what people don't talk about is his sophomore year. His sophomore year, he completed 65% of his passes uh, for about 2,300 yards, had 15 touchdowns and three interceptions. And that's kind of what Tyler Huntley has done. Tyler Huntley is at 2,400 yards passing, 13 touchdowns, one interception. 
he's sort of having a year that reminds me of Alex, uh, Alex Smith's junior or not, I guess not junior, I guess sophomore season, which was, which was a special year in and of itself. You know, obviously I want you know, going to be there for, for another year um, to, to come out and possibly bust out, but maybe that happens at the NFL line. Um, 2003 Utah Utes team with a sophomore Alex Smith too, um, with, with Urban Meyer at the helm and, uh, and, you know, they finished 21st in the, in the final AP poll. And I just, th- those seasons in my mind kind of stick out to me. That's what it reminds me of is I think that he's on the cusp of doing something really special, but he might not have the opportunity to do it because the next step for him is the most competitive step at the NFL level. Yeah. Tyler Huntley, you have Tyler Huntley, Justin Herbert, and you have Alex Gordon who are all still up. Uh, They're part of the five finalists for the nation's top quarterback, the Johnny Unitas award. And you have, Justin Herbert and uh, Zach Moss, who are two of the 20 semifinalists for the uh, for the Maxwell Award for the best player in college football. And Brad- Bradley and I and Evan Weaver are two of the top semifinalists for the uh, Chuck Bednarik Award for the most outstanding defensive player. Like this is how crazy that this is. That you have Utah, who has, who's like, there's an article on Unafraid Show as well about why Tyler Huntley is the best quarterback in the Pac 12. He obviously doesn't project, like you were saying, into the NFL that way, but there's a lot of Utah people that do believe they're like, dude, this dude's Russell Wilson. They think he is, you know, uh, can be used similar to Lamar Jackson, even though he's not quite as explosive. But there may be a market for for him in the NFL because of the success of mobile quarterbacks and teams willing to change their offense. He may be a guy who could have some NFL success if he goes to the right right team, which is oddly shocking to me because nothing before this season ever gave you that belief. That's fair. Yeah. Um, All right. The next game up. From week 12, you got Stanford and Washington State. We can we we can be brief on this game, I guess, because there's nothing positive to say about Stanford at this point in time. Nothing. There is like intellectual brutality is broken. And I don't think that this is a oh well it'll get fixed next season. No, because it was broken last year. And when something's broken two years in a row, it's broken. Like, there's no salvaging it. Like, there needs to be a complete overhaul of offense, and I don't know if David Shaw is willing to do that. After this game, Washington State, and I know that it's Washington State, but I'm including this in the context of everything that he's done this year when he had to play uh, uh, a lot of snaps against USC, a lot of snaps at Oregon State, and also against Washington, which I think was actually his best performance. Davis Mills is the guy. I'm trying not to be reactionary, but I, I I believe it. I think this team is better with him under center. He's got eight touchdowns, three interceptions, 1,400 yards passing on the season. He threw for over 500 yards against Washington State. That wasn't even the, the game that impressed me most. The game that impressed me most was that one month ago against Washington in a win, he was 21 of 30 for 293 and a touchdown. And that he was able to move the ball with his feet a little bit when he needed to. Um, but this game against Washington, this came after one month of just chilling 
and he gets up and throws for 500 yards. Like, this is the best spot starter in all of college football, right? I mean, he's he's put together some really, really good performances. I think they I, – I would hate to see them bench KJ Costello in what essentially is the meaningless last two games of the season because I don't think that they're beating Notre Dame, and I yeah. don't think that they're going to a bowl. But I think you got to see what you have in Davis Mills. I and mean, that's going to be a really, really tough decision to make because KJ Costello has done nothing but show up for them and sacrifice his body. I don't know how you feel about it, George, but I'm just saying I think you're right. I think Davis Mills is the guy. Yeah. I, the, it, listen, you have to do what's right for the program. You have to do what's right for the players around there. K, KJ Costello's had has had his shot. And at this point in time, you're spiraling out of control. So, so doing what, you know, uh, Kevin Sumlin is doing down at Arizona and the quarterback shuffle is only going to end up getting you fired in the process. And I know David Shaw has a lot of goodwill built up at Stanford, but there's only so long that that goodwill lasts and you have to go out and do something else again. <clears throat> Stanford only ran, ran the ball 10 times in this game. They, they threw it 50 times. And truth be told, that's probably the the answer. And then on the other side, you had Anthony Gordon. He threw for 500 yards, five five touchdowns. Max Borgie rushed for 110 10 yards. I know um, uh, Stanford's secondary was just absolutely decimated. Their top two corners were out, which, which made this game just an absolute runaway. But... I mean, these are pretty typical Mike Leach numbers, but even bigger than that for for them, I, I mean, are we seeing Mike Leach coach his last games at Washington State? Because he's been linked to the era, the Arkansas job, maybe the Florida State job. I mean, I, I think that this marriage in Washington State is probably over. I I wanna I wanna say that deep down that Mike Leach knows that Pullman is the best place for him. And that I think he just enjoys the attention and being wanted and what it does to everybody down in Lubbock. (laughs) Every time his name is attached to a job when, you know, Lubbock still supposedly owes him $10 million. Um, I think, I think that that, I think that that's part of it is just that, you know, I think he likes the attention but I think he knows he's in the perfect place for him to be who he wants to be, for him to challenge every year. Um, I, I don't see Washington State pushing him out. Uh, but who knows? Who knows? Like our level of patience as a as a football watching people is pretty crazy. We're talking about David Shaw maybe being done at Stanford when the dude has been to what? Seven, eight straight bowls? And, and I know that he hasn't had a 10-win season since 2016. But this is the best that Stanford has ever been. And I know that that's a continuation of Harbaugh or whatever. Um, but, you know, we're talking about nine and five, nine and four. And then this might be the first time that he ever misses a bowl. And we're like, is Stanford done forever? And I get that you and I have legitimate reasons why we feel that way, that, that, that the NCAA, basically every rule change hurts Stanford disproportionately. And so, like, I'm with you on I'm with you on that. But, you know. I feel like David Shaw's built up enough goodwill to be there as long as he wants to, even if they have five losing seasons in a row. And I feel that way about Mike Leach up in uh, up in uh, uh, Pullman, but I just don't know if we as a society have the ability to even handle continuity. Like, what does it mean for 
for to, for an athletic director to come out the way that Vanderbilt's athletic director came out this week and say, no, it doesn't matter that we're two and eight. Derek Mason is our man, and we're supported. We're 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 committed to putting in things to make sure that he feel feels supported in that role, like that that type of thing where you have a coach who's going to be there for the long haul. It just doesn't really exist anymore, and and definitely not in the Pac-12, where you know it's usually the average is five years and you move on. And maybe we're just getting antsy because David Shaw is in his what ninth year, going on tenth. And Mike Leach has been in Pullman for a really long time, too. So maybe we're just ready for them to move on. But I, I think that both schools would be better off keeping things the, exactly the way they are right now. And I know that Washington State has, has busted out the checkbook before, you know, when Mike Leach has been linked to jobs like Tennessee and stuff like that. So um, at, while, while I know that we bust on Mike Leach, I don't want to really see him go anywhere. I think he's in the perfect place. And and I don't really see Pullman being competitive with anybody else at this time, unless unless they just clean house at USC and you feel like Graham Harrell's ready to to take a head coaching job, or maybe even Clay Helton, maybe that whole staff, you know. But I, I, I other than that, I really don't see anybody doing anything that positive in in Pullman outside of Mike Leach. Yeah, I it would be hard for anybody to have the same success that Mike Leach has had. He he feels like one of the he runs a gimmicky offense essentially. I mean, it's a really good offense, but it's kind of a gimmick. And but it's a very it, it well g- gimmicks only work for so so long. So so that's unfair to call it a gimmick. I would call it it's a it, it it's almost like those offenses that used to go like super super fast every single play, and then you know like like Chip Kelly was doing it creates such an advantage. Because it puts the the defense off balance, and so he's able to compete with eventually, lesser talent. And eventually, I mean, I think that Mike Leach is really depending on the fact that eventually this is what football is going to be. I mean, you're you're a Lakers fan, right? I mean, what Paul Westhead, old NBA, yeah, you know the the just score score a million points, get up as many shots as you can. You know, he he was crazy back in his day, and I don't think he ever won anything of consequence. If I'm if I'm uh, remembering correctly, and and then even Mike D'Antoni with the seven seconds or less Suns, everybody said, you know, you can't win that way. Well, look look at it now. Like literally everyone plays that way. Um, those two guys never won anything with it. But it, I think that Mike Leach, as as you're seeing more and more teams shift to the air raid, I think that Mike Leach is saying like, hey, you know, me and and Hal Mummy and the guy who's you know the guys who came up with this offense, we were ahead of the times. And, you know, maybe it's somebody else that has better talent that ultimately ends up having success with it, like a USC. Um, but, you know, at the same time that that, that it's at someday, we're not going to call it a gimmick. We're going to call it. Yeah, I definitely think that the offenses are trending that way because they are in the NFL, too, except for there's a retraction with uh, with Lamar Jackson. Like he is the outlier right now. He's the guy who's doing things that may change the NFL the way that. Like the well, I, I want to bring bring this up super super quick, which is the quarterback position, particularly in the NFL. That's why you have the Justin Herberts that are so valuable. Maybe the Jacob Eason's, Keaton Slovis when he's ready to come out to attack Valoa. All these guys is that the quarterback position is so valuable because they have them just sit back in the pocket and just stand there, right? 
But imagine a world where quarterbacks were more mobile and ran more college type offenses. You would actually see a devaluing of the quarterback position because you could have more athletes be able to do some of those things that may not be as skilled as passers, but the addition to their legs, if they're dynamic enough, gives them wide open throwing lanes and makes things a lot easier for them. That I, I, I digress though. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Like, cause I got a million opinions on, on, on that whole thing and that'll take up the whole podcast. Yeah, uh, so we got Arizona and Oregon. Oregon didn't look as polished in this game. It's weird. They won 34 to six and the spread was 27 and a half. They didn't look as polished as you would like them to see. But isn't that crazy that you were being critical of a team that won 34 to six and did not give up a touchdown. They're ranked six in the college football playoff. Justin Herbert was 20 for 28 for 333 yards and four touchdowns. It's weird because the stats say something else other than what I feel like I saw when I watched the game. I just feel like Oregon's a really easy team to criticize because you always know what's coming. Like they, they'll move at, a, at an accelerated tempo and then they'll get a lead and then they'll try to like shift to a pro style to sit on the lead. And you'll just see some really ugly plays get run and drives get stalled. And they're still moving the ball and they're still accomplishing everything they need to accomplish. But uh, maybe that's just it is Oregon sort of allows for the defense to make a couple of big plays, tackles for loss, um, stuffing a running back or breaking up one of those throws over the side. Or you know who had an awesome game is uh, is University of Arizona safety Tristan Cooper. Um, I think he intercepted Justin Herbert. Uh, he blew Justin Herbert yeah. up um, on a blitz. He, he you know he he was playing really well. But it, so those are the things that stick out to me are the things that Oregon does wrong. And I think the reason that those things stick out is just because and this happened against Auburn that they go from playing they go from pedal to the metal to pro style so quickly and you can tell when they hit the brakes and sometimes it works and sometimes they still break through and score but at at some point you just want them to just keep that pace up and keep the pedal down um and the one thing that i really noticed about oregon's offense in this game is that they they didn't do the best job just moving the ball down the field through the air a lot of this was yards after catch stuff and taking advantage of just having better athletes on the outside. Um, and I think that that was, I don't think it's nitpicky to say that that's concerning considering how terrible University of Arizona's defensive backs have been this year. Um, I mean, yeah, you just took advantage of them another way. But, you know, I, I, I felt like Oregon should have been able to move the ball downfield with a little bit more ease than they did. Uh, again, still, though, this is a blowout win. And so we, we shouldn't have that much to complain about. I totally I, I agree with you in everything that you said. Uh, I, there's nothing more frustrating than watching Oregon put the brakes on. Dude, just hammer people. But at, at the but at the same time, this is a team that has had a bunch of injuries this year, and they suffered another one. Micah Pittman broke his arm. 
Yeah. And yeah. And they have already been without their wide receivers a number of times this season, which has hurt them. So I think that at this point, I mean, because this is the third or fourth consecutive game um, that um, that C.J. Verdell hasn't finished the game or hasn't played in the second half. And because they're trying to keep him healthy. He's a little bit banged up there. And they had um, and also Jalen Red, he got hurt in the game, too. He may not miss any time, but he, but I think he ended up with bruised ribs or something like like that. This is a team they've lost multiple tight ends. This is a team that's trying to stay healthy and get to, and get to the Pac-12 championship, where hopefully they'll just keep the pedal to the metal. Because if you don't, Utah is coming. Um, oh, I got I got I got two questions for you about this game because you you got to experience. The madness that is the quarterback situation at University of Arizona. First, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What what are your takeaways? What are your takeaways from what is the most absurd arrangement in all of the Pac-12 this year? Kevin Sumlin is trying to get fired. He he's got to be. I mean, so you start Grant Gannell. Finally, you're like, okay, we're switching gears. He plays for all of a quarter. Stats don't look terrible. He's just playing against a better team who doesn't have any wideouts. I mean, Arizona doesn't have wideouts that can compete with Oregon's secondary and defense. They they just don't. And and then you bring in Khalil Tate. Why did you even start Grant Gunnell if you weren't going to let him just play? Then you let Khalil Tate play for like two quarters, and then you put Grant Gunnell back in. Why? What are you doing? What are you doing? Like if quarterback math is one, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. One plus one equals zero in quarterback math. You either have you have one starting quarterback. That is it. And you let him play. And when you switch to another quarterback, a younger guy, you have to give him an ample opportunity. And Kevin Sumlin is screwing up with this, Ralph. Yeah, and yeah, that's all I got to say. And my other one is, how about J.J. Taylor declaring for the NFL draft with two games and possibly a bowl left in his junior season? What, bowl? <laughs> bowl? He, he yeah, played okay. in a bowl yeah, game. I know. I mean, I know. even if I know, yeah, Ari- I know. Arizona would then have to, they would have to beat Utah and beat Arizona State. Beating Arizona State is possible, but they're damn sure not beating Utah. So he ain't worried about no bowl game. He actually might sit out these last two games. I, but I do think that this could be a jinx. <laughs> and also, I mean, like, this is not like, um, I don't know, Zach Moss declaring for the NFL. Well, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a high draft pick. Okay. This is not Justin Herbert declaring. Well, he's he's a senior. Jeez Louise. Uh, okay. Well, let's 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 clear one thing up before you go into what you're going. You and I love JJ Taylor. Yeah, he's a good back. He he reminds you and of Tariq he, but Cohen. But he is, and when he is calling, he he is calling. Uh, this this might be smart, but it could backfire. He is calling upon the eyes of all scouts to turn their gaze upon him with two games left in the season. One of which, I mean, he did this right before the Utah game right before the Utah game to say, hey, I'm coming out. 
Nobody else has declared definitively. So now everybody needs to. They're to, all waiting to, to see if they JJ get out healthy Taylor against Utah. Everybody else is waiting to see if they get out of out of the season healthy because this could turn out to be the ultimate jinx. Well, I'm just imagine imagine the stones it takes to say I'm going to go pro right before you take on the best defensive line in the country. Yeah, and I'm not expected to be a first round draft pick. Yeah, all right. Whatever, son. Yeah, he he kind of like like a Brian Hill from Wyoming. Like I could see him being like a sixth round stash the running back for a year and then see what he can do in his second or third year in the NFL. But I I believe that he's capable of that. He's real hard to break down. He's shifty. He's quick. Um, he can get he can he can handle thirty carries if you need him to. Uh, he's done it a few times. Um, but I just I don't know about declaring before the Utah game. I <laughs> yeah I don't love that. Oh man, I don't yeah. love it. Um, now we can move on to this week, week thirteen, and and do you have your power? Oh, you don't. Huh? You don't want to. You don't want to talk about uh, oh. ASU trying to run a two point oh. conversion down. Oh my with- lord! I forgot about that game, dude. That was a disaster. So first thing, you have to give Oregon State credit. They've won five games where every. I mean. Everybody expected them to win one or two. And Jonathan Smith has them competitive in every game except for the best teams. I mean, they could not move the ball against Washington, but then their defense showed up and only gave up 19 points. It was 19 to seven. They got trashed by Utah. They got beat up by Oklahoma State. And they're going to get trashed by, by, by Oregon. But aside from that, they're playing good football. And... For Arizona State, both of these teams are now 5-5. Five and five. I know that Oregon State is better, but when you lose to Oregon State, that's a bad loss, right? Yes. Yes, especially, especially when Arizona State, when they hired Herm Edwards, athletic director Ray Anderson came out and said, this is nobody's rebuild. We're not, we're not rebuilding for anybody. We expect to be top 15 in the country, top three in the conference every single year so you can't even even out of context a loss to oregon state when they had lost 14 straight home games dating back to the 2017 civil war when the students stormed the field after beating a five and four arizona state that's embarrassing right but in the context of the expectations that were built when herm edwards was hired this is a disaster Okay, so what did what did you think about the decision to go for two at the end of the game? Because this was not like I understand why North Carolina goes for two against Clemson because the more and more times that Clemson is just more powerful, they're just better, and we've seen other teams try to try to pull off upsets with two point conversions because they're like, "Yo, this is our shot right here," because. If we keep going in these overtimes, these teams are just way too powerful and we're not going to be able to do it. I mean, but why do you do this against well, Oregon State if you're Arizona State? <laughs> Jaden Daniels is having a good game. And let me give you four for 36, 334 yards and three touchdowns. Why? Right. So there's a minute 40 left in the game. So you're still going to have to play defense, right? Regardless of whether you get the two point conversion or not. Um, you're still going to have to play defense. You, you've only allowed them, they, you've only allowed them like 90 total yards in the second half, exact same as the USC game. They got blown up early and then they shut it down late. Uh, 
<laughs> and then so you're down you're down 35 34 you should be up because Eno Benjamin fumbled into the end zone on the previous drive and gave the ball back and then you had to get the ball back for yourself go down score and you have an opportunity to make the extra point and play defense and Herm Edwards says I don't play for the tie well guess what George there's no ties in college football <laughs> you can't tie there is literally no such thing as playing for the tie they're just playing to give your offense another opportunity. They only gave Eno Benjamin the ball 15 times when he had 300 yards rushing last year against them. So they threw the ball like 37 times. So the, 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 the game plan was all out of whack. If they kick that extra point, there's a minute 40 left, they're playing defense, and they're going up against an Oregon State kicker who hasn't made a field goal in conference play and is two for seven on the year. Yeah. Yeah, that I'm taking my eye. So – if you play for overtime, if you play for overtime, even but then you have two timeouts, you could get the ball yep. back and score again. But if you, if you play for overtime, if you play for overtime in that situation, you're putting them on the field with a kicker who can't kick. Dude, there there were so many things wrong with this, <clears throat> and Arizona State has just fallen apart. Their defense that you gave so much credit. Remember, we did the episode where we were talking about. Yep. No, I remember. <laughs> I was the <laughs> yep. I'm gonna do what they do and stop defending. <laughs> so I'm not gonna defend that. I'm not gonna oh, defend that funny. take anymore. Um, it, 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 life without a pass rush. You live life without a pass rush. It's you know they're back to being like 115th in the country in pass defense. So I, I got nothing. I, I I've got nothing for this team uh, positive to say at at this point. They are 0-4 against the Pac-12 South, 2-5 against the conference in general. Um, yep. This is a bad football team. Um, I want to talk a bit about something that kind of happened, uh, that kind of flew under the radar before we get to the week thir- 13. There's a guy named Ramogi Huma. He's the executive director for the National College Players Association. And he spoke as part of a panel at UCLA last night that addressed athlete compensation as it relates to the name image and likeness and he pointed out he said he has no confidence that the ncaa will change its policies that way athletes can profit off their name image and likeness because they failed to come up with a real proposal when its board of governors released a statement in october that they were basically just trying to just stop the wolves that they were just trying to stop oh yeah yeah, we'll get we'll get to it but there's no actually getting to it and it said if the ncaa was sincere it would enact rules immediately yet incorporate california's law to make it uniform nationwide but they're not they claim it's difficult to figure these things out it's not difficult this is no longer a blank slate California's athletes will have these rights in a couple years and the NCAA has no control over that. So the question is whether they're going to make it uniform and expand it to all players across the nation or whether they're going to fight it. And then there's 15 other states pursuing name, image and likeness legislation and all of that. Uh, The NCAA eventually won't have a leg to stand on. And you guys, if you guys want any information on this stuff, we have it fully covered on Unafraid Show. Go to Business of Sports. There's a ton of articles on the name, image, and likeness stuff and the crookedness that is the NCAA. But I say that to ask you this, Ralph. With the NCAA and this, like, I, 
I, I don't know why they won't just get something done because the further you try to kick this can down the street, the name, image, and likeness legislation is not going away in California. It's not going away in South Carolina, New York, Florida, Bama, uh, Colorado, any of these other states that are doing It's not going away. Like, why are you trying to continue to kick the can down the, down the street? Yeah, I, I mean, th that's the problem. The reason that they're in this situation is that that's what they did. They didn't address it in a timely fashion, and now they've left the door open for everyone else to have a say through individual pieces of legislation, and you're opening the door for, for essentially the federal government to get involved, which is never something, that's a sentence I never like to utter, that the government's going to control a private industry of some kind. Uh, and so, I mean, this is, they, they, they held tightly to the ruse of amateurism for so long that now it's completely out of their control. And they had every ability to be forward thinking on this, and they were not. I have no sympathy for the NCAA at all when it comes to it. Do I worry about my own ability to be entertained by college football players? As long as there's college football in some form or another, I'm going to watch it. But if this comes at the expense of a bunch of people who clung to power at the expense of others for a very, very long time, and it makes their life harder, I don't lose an ounce of sleep over that. I 100% agree with you. I 100% agree with you there. Um, on to week 13. There are a bunch of meaningful games. Uh, Ralph tallied up for us how the Pac-12, because we talked a week ago about how the Pac-12 could have 10 teams that were bowl that could be bowl bound, most of them at six and six. But now with the Pac-12 standings as they as they are, that probably won't happen. And part of that is, well, I, actually, you give us the, the how many Pac-12 teams are going to be eligible, and then I'll go into my uh, spiel. So there is a scenario in which only five Pac-12 teams can make a bowl. It depends on Oregon and Utah finishing 11-1, and one, which you would think to yourself, that's a good year for the Pac-12. Two teams in the college football playoff conversation, one that loses probably playing in the Rose Bowl, a good year. But the conference is dependent on getting the money from as many teams appearing in bowls as possible. So you, you want to make sure that you at least qualify half of your conference. Five to me would be a disaster. Here's how you could end up with only five teams from the Pac-12 in a bowl game. And this, again, depends on Oregon and Utah both finishing 11-1, and one, which will probably happen. Step one, Stanford has to beat Powell and then lose to Notre Dame. Completely plausible scenario. Yeah. Step two, Cal also has to lose to UCLA. Step three, USC beats UCLA this week. Step four, University of Arizona beats ASU. And step five, and this can happen either way, that either Oregon State or Washington State lose out. Now, Oregon State and Washington State play each other, and then they play the other team from their state. And so you probably assume, you're going to assume that Washington's going to win the Apple Cup because they always do. You're probably going to assume that Oregon's going to win the, the Civil War, even though it's going to be much more difficult this year than it has been in previous years. So, assuming that Oregon State beats Washington State or Washington State beats Oregon State and then goes on to lose the intrastate game, 
That's how you're left with only five bowl teams, and those bowl teams would be the winner of Oregon State, Washington State, and then Washington, USC, Utah, and Oregon. All those things are very possible. Like, that's not beyond the realm of possibility. Jeez. Dude, that, yeah. Scary, isn't it? To, to have a year with five, like, what, what would Larry Scott say next Pac-12 media day? What's the thing he would come up with? Because he always finds a way to spin terrible stuff. When a bunch of coaches got fired a couple years ago, he was like, isn't it exciting to have all this new blood in the conference? When the Pac-12 went like one and eight in bowls, he said it's better to have qualified for a bowl than it is to actually win it. Like he says the craziest stuff to try to justify. You already know what he's going to say. If Oregon or Utah makes the college football playoff, He's going to ignore the rest. Yes, you're going to have two New Year's Six Bowl games. You're going to have the Rose Bowl, and you're going to have this the college football playoff semifinal. And Lord knows if they mess around and win a game too. Oh God, he's a, yes, we are <laughs> back. The conference. Well, how about the other seven teams that didn't qualify for bowl games? Oh man, we were in the college football playoff conversation. A lot of people said that we we would not be. This dude is. I, I don't understand why people keep believing that something magical is going to happen. His contract he's gonna is have up to in use 2022. That, yeah. He's going to have to the, use that giant salary of his to buy Gregory Hines' personal tap dancing shoes. If Utah beats Oregon in the, in the Pac-12 championship and then isn't awarded a spot in the college football playoff and only five teams make a bowl, I, that that will have to be his masterpiece performance of tap dancing. Oh yeah, yeah, but you know he's he's a master. He will get it done. Okay, so here is and when you hear so many people say, "Oh, the Pac-12 is garbage. Pac-12 is garbage," right? Okay, here is the problem. I, I always talk about this. The difference between playing eight conference games and playing nine conference games is this. So you have the SEC. And the ACC and the Big Ten all have 14 teams. But only one of them plays nine conference games, which is the Big Ten. And that means that they play four and three non-conference games, respectively. Most of these teams do not play 10 power five games. So, and then when you look at conference, so you have three or four free wins, particularly if they play a lower tier like the teams who have Rutgers on their schedule and Maryland, you know, bottom feeder teams. And here is how the total losses work out in conference. So you have the Pac-12, 12 teams, nine games. There are 54 losses that must be conference losses that must be spread out amongst 12 teams. That's an average number of four and a half losses per team. If you look at the ACC and the SEC, who have 14 teams and play eight conference games, their total number of conference losses is only 56. Whereas the Pac-12 has 54 to spread amongst 12 teams. They have 56 losses to spread out amongst 14 teams. So that's less conference losses for everybody because that's an average of four losses per team. So that extra half a game loss that the Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12 have, 
that seven more losses that SEC teams would would have. That means less teams qualify for bowl games. You have more parity, and you don't have and you don't get the schedule roulette where you don't get Alabama hasn't played Georgia in like eight years. They don't play Florida. Or you have Auburn who's got to play everybody. And I mean, it just creates such an imbalance. Whereas in the, uh, like you can't duck people and it would be fine if they would just schedule well out of, out of conference, but they won't do that either. So when people get to talk about, well, if the PAC 12 would just win more, it's not, or the big 10 would just win more. <clears throat> the big 10 has 14 teams. They have 63 losses that they have to spread out where the sec and the ACC have 56. I mean, it's, it's just, the math is so bad and people know this, but they will not pay attention to the facts. They won't let common well, sense let's, get uh, better. Let's have our own um, foray into a lack of common sense and jump into the Pac-12 power rankings. Um, <laughs> my, mine are, uh, as they have been every week, they're a confusing mess, but I did move, uh, I did move the two in-state teams um, of which uh, I, I cover down here in Arizona to the very bottom, and I feel like justifiably so. Uh, but I'll, I'll start with mine, my my twelve through seven. I've got University of Arizona at the bottom, Arizona State in the eleven spot, Colorado at ten, Washington State at nine, UCLA at eight, and Stanford somehow holding down the seven spot. I don't know how. I don't have an explanation for you. <laughs> well, okay. I, I will give you that. Um, so I have Arizona at 12. I can't figure out what Kevin Sumlin is doing. Team's headed in a bad direction. Stanford. Stanford is hurt. Stanford's bad. They don't have an identity at 11. Col- Colorado. Some some kind of way they don't look quite as bad because they won their last game against Stanford. And they had an an. Uh, an off week. So you have an off week, nothing bad can happen. Um, Washington State at nine, disaster. They are two and five in the conference. Arizona State, I don't know how they're at number eight because this team is in a complete free fall, but they beat Washington State. They lost yeah. to Colorado, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. This is in <laughs> craziness. And then I have Cal at seven. Who is, who is? This is a schizophrenic team. They don't know. They don't know when they when they want to win. When they want to get blown out. They need a quarterback. I mean, like the the bottom seven teams shouldn't even. They're just in trouble. And then who's your six uh, to one? Two bro? teams at risk of not even going to a bowl at both six and five in Oregon State and Cal. Uh, <laughs> which is wild to me. And then I've got Washington at number four. Uh, USC, even though Washington beat USC, I just feel like USC is in a better place right now. Um, Or I'm just intoxicated by their last win. Um, But I got USC at number three, (laughs) Utah at number two, Oregon at number one. I got UCLA at six. Because despite the Utah game, they had been trending in the right direction, and everybody that plays Utah looks awful. Um, 
Oregon State at number five. Inexpl- I, I don't know how. I don't know how. Like they, there was never a time that I believed that Oregon State would be one of the five best teams in the Pac-12. Um, oh, and then also, and then that gets us to number four, to the actually bowl eligible teams. Uh, USC at number four. They have been up and down. I do agree they look really good right now. But they lost to the Washington Huskies, too. And Washington is at number three. It's weird because Washington looks like a really good football team at times. Like they they took Utah and and Oregon to the, to the wire. Oregon State. Played. Yeah. But at the same time, there, there feels like that there is a is a is a a grand canyon of distance between Washington. Well, there feels like a grand canyon of distance between USC and everybody else at number, you know, from, from five to 12 feels like there's a grand Canyon there. And then there feels like that there is a stratospheric difference between Washington at number three and Utah and Oregon. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, this is, yeah, there's a, big huge difference i mean those teams don't even look like they're even in the same conference really um week week 13 so usc is finally ranked in the top 25 the coaches poll so that gives oregon a top 25 win and in my college football rankings as they should be which i put out every week i have oregon at number four because I can't get over the Georgia loss to South Carolina. I mean, it's it's just awful. I mean, they lost at home to a team with a losing record. I mean, it's just baffling. Um, and then I had Utah at number seven because I have Georgia and Alabama squeezed in between them at five and six. And and I based those on dominance. Uh, schedule played and quality wins, same as I do the Pac-12 power rankings. And now, if if you're a, you know, if you are a Utah or a Oregon fan wanting your team to get the get to the college football playoff, seeing USC rank number twenty three is a good thing, and you have to hope that they destroy UCLA and cover and and cover this thirteen and a half point spread. And if you are a USC fan. And you are done with Clay Helton. This game means nothing to you at all. Nothing. If you are supporting the conference, you need USC to win this game to look better for Utah and to look better for the conference overall. But if you are a diehard fight on Trojan and you're ready for change, you might have to eat this bullet. And I think that I think and I think that Trojan fans are comfortable. With that scenario, knowing that they're going to be in a bowl game regardless, knowing that it doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day and that it will set them up for success later. And so I expect a big enough contingent of USC fans to at least, you know, and I know how big this rivalry is, but I think that there's a big enough contingent of USC fans that are willing to lose this game for the future good of the team. So I think that that's something that's really interesting to watch. I don't love the spread. I think that UCLA finds a way to, to, to cover this, um, 
And to make this game messy, this is a really, really important game for UCLA, I think more so uh, than USC outside of anyone but the players and the coaching staff. Uh, and so, um, I don't know. I, 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 do like, I do like USC to win um, talent over talent uh, and, and as revenge for, for next year. And I think the players are rallying behind Clay Helton a little bit. But it's just an interesting dynamic to have where everybody is sort of on the fence as a USC fan about what they want to happen in this game. I don't I, see USC fans could stomach a loss, but they can't stomach a loss to UCLA just to get Clay Helton fired. I I think that they would rather just win by a field goal and hopefully so you, an ugly, that embarrassing win because. I don't know if you can have an ugly, embarrassing win that and beat UCLA. At the end of the day, you won the game. And it's a huge rivalry game. So, so, so sometimes the score is not always indicative of what's going on. But I know that UCLA cannot let USC – I mean that USC can't let UCLA get going in the beginning of the game. Because if they do, the, the biggest momentum riders in the conference – can stay in the game. But if you don't, if you jump on them early, the same way that they jumped on Arizona State, they'll they'll win by 40 points. They'll win by 50 points, maybe. Like this would be a this game will look just like the the um the Utah UCLA game where it was 49 to 3, except it might even be worse than that. So th- this game is all about the first quarter. Whoever wins the first quarter will win the game. I'm telling you that right now. Whoever starts out fast is going to win the game. Because Keaton Slovis, if he start, starts out slow, they're able to shut down the wideouts a little, little bit, and UCLA gets a couple big plays, t- touchdowns. Dude, this game is going to be an absolute dogfight. And and Clay Helton will be fired immediately after the game if they lose this. 100%. There's no chance he comes back from losing this game. Um. Oh, but you, but you may have Joshua Kelly, USC, uh, UCLA running back. He may be able to go for go over a hundred yard, a thousand yards on the season. In in this game, he's second in the conference. He's averaging one hundred and one yards a game. Uh, yeah, ironically, the conference doesn't even have a thousand yard rusher yet. Zach Moss is still sitting at nine fifty five. You only have two receivers at a thousand yards. That's Isaiah Hodges and Michael Pittman. This hasn't been a particularly great statistical year, it's, for especially with like six running backs returning that had over a thousand yards. But don't worry, with about seven more games, you know Benjamin will get there at an average of you know four carries a game. <laughs> well, it it no Benjamin is is sitting at eight oh one, so he really only needs. One big game, and that uh, Arizona game probably looks looks like a two hundred yard possible performance if they actually hand him the football. Um, you got uh, Cal and Stanford. This game is critical, critical for Cal and for Stanford because if Stanford wants any hope to make a bowl game, because it's going to take a miracle for them to beat Notre Dame next week. But if they want to make a bowl game, this is the game. You got to get this one. And Cal is coming off getting absolutely trashed, clubbed, beat up by 
against USC, like they're going to be fighting mad. And this game is played at Stanford, which is not necessarily a huge home field advantage, but this is their rivalry game. You're going to see the Stanford band. You're going to see all this, you know, uh, Come, coming on the field, you're going to see all of that this week on all the highlight packages. Stanford's favored by three. Over, under in this game, 41 and a half. Who you got, Ralph? That's that's amazing. Well, I've got the over because um, Stanford doesn't play a whole lot. I, I think that Cal will find a way to score in this game, but I think that stylistically – and tell me if you disagree with this, George. Stylistically, this is the first time that Stanford's had an advantage um, in a few weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll put it that way. That this kind of lines up with exactly the type of game that Stanford likes to I, hope, I don't know how play. Stanford likes to play anymore. They ran the ball 10 times last game and threw it 50. So I don't know who this team is anymore. Do you think that Davis Mills can move the ball on cow are we i mean are we intoxicated by the whole keaton slovis thing or or will everything regress back um, to the mean keaton slovis is throwing to michael pittman i'm on st brown i'm on ross st brown and tyler vons uh stanford <laughs> stanford is throwing to and st brown a well asap st brown the <laughs> Not not necessarily either <laughs> one of the other brothers, the one who's in the NFL and or Amon Ross St. Brown. He's throwing to a freshman. They he's also throwing to Michael Wilson, Connor Weddington, and Cody Parkinson, who we've completely forgot about because he only has one touchdown this season. Um, yeah, so I, no, no, I think it regresses back to the mean because the the weapons aren't the same. And if Cal, uh, and if Cal can't rebound and play well against this set of wide receivers, <clears throat> something is broken in Cal in their defense, whether it's their confidence or whatever, because they have a chance to make a bowl game. They have a yeah. legit shot to finish seven and five because they can beat Stanford, they can beat UCLA, and finish seven and five. It's entirely possible. So I don't. I I, I just. I'm going with Cal in this game. They bounced back from the last time that they that they got absolutely trashed. So I'm going with them. Yeah, I'm I'm going with them. And but uh, I'm going to take the over as well because Stanford's defense is beat up, and as bad as their defense is, I just oh I don't know. Cal Cal might hold them. This could be like a 21-17 game. Actually, I'm taking. I'm a crazy man. I'm going to take the under in this game, Ralph. The under, okay. All right. Well, then I'll, I'll do the exact opposite. You'll yeah. be on the other side on both of these. Um, you forgot to mention my guy, Simi Feho, who has is coming into his own. He only has 15 catches this year. He's averaging 30 yards a catch, and six of them have been for touchdowns. I think if anybody's going to get past this Cal secondary, it's going to be him. Um, I I I'm looking at maybe a 24 to 20 game. And I think that Stanford comes out on top. I think that that was the backbreaker for. I, I think that you saw this defense have to carry um, this Cal team all year long, and I think the bottom finally fell out, and and the weight for them was was too much. It was a it was a valiant effort by them, but I think that th this game is going to be a little bit ugly, and ugly is where Stanford lives. 
and and Cal was just trying to move through Ugly onto something else. They weren't planning to they weren't planning to live in Ugly Town. And I think that I think that this this gives Stan a little bit of an advantage. Again, I've been wrong of the ten times of picking Stanford, so this is probably really good for you, George. But I'll take Stanford and the over. Oh, oh loser! <laughs> um, oh, we didn't we didn't say who are you taking UCLA USC? Oh, I'm I'm definitely definitely taking USC. I do not do not like the minus fourteen. I thought the covers. Oh, oh, all right, and that over um, sixty three, under, under for sure. Oh, you're crazy! This game absolutely crushes the the over. USC wins this game. I'm picking USC because it's I think that UCLA may shock the world, but for the good of everyone in the conference, for the good of Stanford, I mean, for the good of Utah and the good of Oregon, USC must win this game. And this would be such a disappointment if they lost. Um, Next game up, you got Oregon versus Arizona State in Tempe. Oregon's favored by 14 and a half points. Over under fifty three and a half. Um, so I'm gonna go to Who this, you got game, in this game, um, but I'm only gonna stay for uh, I think kickoff, and then the state of Arizona decided to uh, take the best eight teams in the state in high school playoffs and have them face each other since they got sick of the same teams winning the state championships every single year. They took the top eight teams. They're making them play each other. They're making them do it on a Saturday, and so we finally have high school football doing what the Pac-12 does to. Uh, to it and encroaching on college football on their day. So I'm going to, I'm going to spend the day watching some Pac-12 football. I'm going to stay out there for kickoff, go say what's up to my guys, Johnny Johnson and Tyler Shuck and everybody from the, from the state of Arizona up there, Thomas Graham, uh, who, who, who lived out here till he, till he moved to California, age like nine or 10. I'm going to go say what's up to those guys. And then, uh, and then go catch some high school football games, record this game and watch it after. I do not expect to see anything pretty because to me as good as justin herbert is and as good as oregon's defensive backfield is the strength of this team is their offensive and defensive line that's what's made everything go for oregon this year it just so happens that arizona state has something good going on everywhere but those two units so i this to me is a (laughs) horrible matchup for asu Horrible, and this was probably this was probably the most exciting game that I covered uh, last year up at Autzen. This this was an awesome game. These were two teams that were still trying to find themselves. You know, yep. talent versus talent. Um, both teams were really mature on both sides of the ball, um, except for except for defense. They were both kind of young, but like this was a whole lot of fun. I don't expect this game to be very fun because. Uh, ASU has given up a lot of points in the first quarter and first half of the last five or six games, and Oregon likes to go out and start hot. So, except for against USC, um, this could be this could be bad. This could be a twenty-five to thirty-point Oregon win. Um, I would be disappointed as an Oregon fan if they don't go out there and score style points against ASU. And I know the the, the matchup isn't. You know, I, I know that ASU brings a lot to the table talent-wise, but it, it's a wounded animal right now, and you have to go out there and prove that you're the dominant team. There are people down here who think that this is prime for an upset. Do not count me among them. I think this is a horrible matchup 
at a horrible time. Had this been the first game <laughs> of conference play, then, you know, a uh, completely different story. But right now, um, no, no, I, I don't like ASU at all in this game. Whatever the spread is, whatever it is, no, I'll take it. I'll ta- I will take Oregon. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you, Ralph. There, there's no way Arizona State wins this game. Aside, I mean, even if Justin Herbert got, got hurt and Tyler Shug had to come in, they would still win the game. It, it, this is a, yeah, this is a pit bull fighting a chihuahua. I mean, a- Arizona State, as as talented as they are at some positions, they are mentally out of it. They are and they just don't have, they don't have the confidence and they don't have the defensive and offensive line to withstand all the body blows. Oregon just they body blow you body blow you body blow you until and then and then come up top, they faint and then come up top and then you're out cold and then all of a sudden you're like, "Damn, how do we get down 28 points?" It it felt closer than this. Yeah, this is going to be bad. Um Oregon State Washington State, the fight for bowl, yeah, the the uh, fight for the bowl game because they're both five and five. If Oregon State doesn't win this game, they're not going to a bowl game because they're not going to beat Oregon. <clears throat> Washington State, if they don't beat Oregon State, they're supposed to come back next week and beat Washington? Probably not so much. So it seems like the winner of this game goes to a bowl game because they'll have six victories and the loser see see you next season unless it's Washington State because Mike Leach might be coaching in Arkansas next year. I feel like this is a head versus heart game. My head says Washington State should win. My heart says Oregon State in a bowl would be fantastic, right? Oh, you're such a participation no, trophy no, no, guy. No, no, no. Oh, they're no, having a no, great no, season. No, 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 no. I just have a up. long-standing dream of Oregon State and South Carolina being eligible for a bowl in the same season so that we can get a Cox versus Beavers bowl. That's it. It's not a <laughs> <laughs> It's not a participation <laughs> trophy thing. I just I just really want to buy the most offensive yet innocent bowl merchandise ever made in the history of college football that's it um oh that is great <laughs> that is great i can root for that too you just got me on board cox but i don't, but I don't, I don't think board. either team makes a bowl i i have to go with my head in this one um and I, I i think that uh i think mike leach gets it done i think oregon state's a fantastic story but i think the only way they get to a bowl this year is if they pull a 2017 and shock the world um and uh, but but I also don't think that will happen because it's not like Willie Taggart's running that Oregon team. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I'm I'm gonna go with Washington State in this. What's the line on this game? Eleven, 11 and a half, and over under of seventy five. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Washington State and the under. Dude, give me Washington State and give me the over. This game's going, I mean, 75 is outrageous. But Oregon State can't stop anybody. They can't stop anybody except for Washington. That's the only team that they've actually held in check. And, and oh, my Lord. And, and Washington State can't stop anybody either. Dude, this game will probably rival the <laughs> damn 
score of the UCLA Washington State game. I'm predicting near 100 points. This is a sucker bet on on the under. But I am also taking Washington State in this 11 and a half points too. Um uh, I pfft, we got Washington and Arizona. Dude, after seeing what Oregon did to Arizona, this is horrible for Arizona. Back-to-back games, Utah's favored by 23 points. That that's kind of weird because well, I, I I guess they are playing Arizona's playing at home because uh Oregon was favored by 27 and a half points and covered, but now Utah's only favored by 23 points. And the over under is 58 and a half. Who you got in this game, Ralph? Um I mean, Utah's going to win. I, you never know. And Utah's nasty. They're, they're, at what, they did to, what they did to UCLA, um, they've got that killer instinct. I, I think they, they have it in their sights. Um, Arizona's good for one crazy win a year. I don't think it's going to come this week. But they really and, – and, and part of it, I think, is because they don't actually know who's leading them. Um, and I think that that's going to keep them from winning both this week and next week, to be honest. Uh, but I will say that 23 is about on the nose for me. I could see this being, uh, I, I could see, I could see, uh, I, I don't see the, uh, oh God, I'm stuttering, but I don't see Arizona being shut out offensively a few weeks in a row. They're going to find some way to score. I believe that. And so, I think um, 41-17, what is that, 24 points? Utah does find a way to cover in this game, but I don't think it's going to be like UCLA. I don't think they're going to hold them without a touchdown. You're, you're, you must be on some pain medication for you. Well, your, I am, for but your... I... Because <laughs> Oregon held, them without, held Arizona without a touchdown. Utah is mad they're not getting the proper respect that they feel like they deserve. They are going to try to drown Arizona. They are going to try to just demolish them, get all the style points possible the way they, where there are people that can say, ooh, they maybe could beat Alabama with Mac Jones at quarterback instead of Tua. That's what they're going to try to do. Utah is a different team. Utah is a different team on the road. They're still very good, but they're not. Salt Lake, Utah is a different animal. Yeah, but Arizona, you, this is the same Arizona team. The same Arizona team that's giving up 37 yeah. points a game, Ralph. 37. And they would have given up 38 in the Oregon game if the Oregon kicker could make an extra point or a field goal. You know, if you took um, I bet if you if you did a two-team parlay this week, and I, I know that like the likelihood of this happening is very, very small. But if you did a two-team parlay, just the money line, just to win with Arizona and UCLA, and they both they both won, I bet if you put a hundred bucks down, you could turn that into like two thousand. Damn. So sure if you feel like wasting a hundred dollars, tell them I say. Well, hey. I'm I'm taking Utah and the okay. under. I say I say the under hits so fifty-eight and a half, and Utah covers. So that means Arizona won't be putting up pretty much any points. Um, last game, Washington and Colorado, Washington's favored by 14 and a half over under 54 and a half. Who do you got in this game, Ralph? I mean, it's, it's in Boulder, right? 
crazier things have happened. Um, I'm I'm sure you would enjoy that if if Washington, because this game doesn't matter all that much. Washington's still bowl eligible. Colorado's still got to worry about beating Utah to get there. Um, this game could keep them alive, and they're and Colorado plays really really well at home. Uh, at least comparatively, they did lose to Air Force, um, but. I don't. I don't like this. I do like Colorado to cover the fourteen and a half. To me, is too much. Um, I don't know really where Washington's head is at, and I don't know if they'll be able to handle. Um, I don't know if they'll be able to handle Stephen Montez on the on the road. You never. You just never know what Stephen Montez you're getting. You never know. But I think at home, I'm going to bet on good Montez showing up, and I, I say that. Uh, I say that this game is way too close for comfort and Washington comes out um winning by maybe a field goal. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Always. So Colorado okay. Here here's what I know. Colorado's pass defense giving up second worst in the conference, 308 yards a game. <clears throat> They are playing against Washington, whose pass offense is is throwing for 249 yards a game. So if you're Washington, are you going to come out and try to run the ball in this football game? Which is a big deal because Colorado's rushing offense, they are thin on the offensive line. I'm sorry, on the defensive line. I come out if I'm them and I'm throwing the ball. As many times as possible because their secondary is terrible. And then a med is going to break a couple long ones because then they're going to have to play coverage, put two safeties over the top. And then it, th- this game's going to get out of hand. <clears throat> but judging from that Oregon State game, I don't see a scenario. I, it, I'm t- torn because Oregon State was able to hold them to 19 points and their defense sucks too. So I, I, I'm. I think I'm coming around to you, Ralph. Where I got Washington winning, just not by 14 and a half. I think they win by 14 points, and they don't cover. And that would put the score at that's 54 for the over under. So that's 40 points. That means the score would be 34 to 20 under those circumstances. And I don't know if bad Steven Montez can get 20, 20 points. I, I, I'm actually taking. Well, you think we're getting. So you think we're getting bad Montez? Well, Washington's defense is actually pretty good. I mean, when you look at the games that they've lost, they lost to Cal. They only gave up 20 points, even though that's below Cal's average on the season. They lost to Stanford inexplicably but only gave up 23 points. Lost to Oregon and lost to Utah, which obviously they gave up 35 and 33 respectively. But aside from that, they've been giving up 14, 20, 19, 14. You know, I gave up, oh, they did give up 27 to Arizona. I will say this, I win either way. Because if we get good Montez, I was right. And if we get bad Montez, that means that Jacob Eason probably looked better than Montez, which means that you can't hold the whole Jacob Eason uh, is a good thing over my head. So either way, I'm covered. I hedge my bets here. 
Okay, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the line of of making Ralph Ralph wrong. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna take Washington State to win, but Colorado to uh, but Colorado to cover the no um yeah no I'm not yes Colorado's gonna cover the 14 and a half and and lose because they're gonna lose by 14 <laughs> and the over under. I'm going. I'm. I'm taking the over here because betting, betting the under, even though I've done it twice, this game is for suckers. I'm with you. Colorado covers. Take the over. Thirty to twenty-seven. Washington. Well, you guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Make sure that you share the podcast with a friend. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. Um, Yeah, and uh, we will catch you guys next week. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode with the uh, Pac-12 quarterbacks, quarterback rankings. Peace out. Catch you guys later.